Welcome to the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. This is Bruce. This is John. And this is Trav. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, your podcast of exploring strange new worlds, supernatural explorations, and all kinds of other things produced by the TriTac Games. And we'd like to think that we can help you out in any game that you are playing. But this week, we're talking specifically about Fringeworthy. So this is a Fringeworthy-only episode, but we hope we'll still be able to give you something to think about. We're going to be talking about some of the races of Fringeworthy. Now, there's a one-page description, and just as we talked about the Demixie, we're going to talk about the Dezeal and possibly even the Blizzniz. Gesundheit. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) The Dezeal, the portal was a religious shrine. It's a full portal station with the whole big rotating ring and the blackness and the ramp going up. The whole nine yards. Very impressive. Okay, you know, you come up, you strike at it with a sword or a knife, at least, you know, initially, and can't even touch it, can't even cut. And for a race that is just currently in this Iron Age, that's pretty darn amazing. That's god metal. So, of course, they turn it into a shrine, and everybody who can make the crystals glow are therefore the guards and the priests. Then Idet walks through and runs into them. Or drives through. We're not quite sure whether the Humvee came through the portal or they walked through. I'm sure it's not one of Richard's stories because he said that actually there were only a very few stories that were made into the concept of friendship. But I'm sure that this is from his original campaign. Yeah. Uh, it says here, Fringe Discovery plus two. So I think motor vehicles might have been started by that time. I would make them available because they're listed as available in this book. Everything in this book is circa FD plus two. John and I have some disagreements. He thinks there should be like another plus five in there. Actually, I changed my mind on that, but that's a different discussion. Yeah, let's not go there again. Okay, very possibly they drove through with a diesel-powered engine on some kind of a vehicle. And did use the windup like they're supposed to. They didn't follow SOP. Right. So they come through, and they were declared gods by the local uh, populace. And for some reason, one of the uh, the zeal was dying, and the doctor decided to treat him. I don't know why the IDET commander decided not to treat the guy. Maybe because he was afraid that if they got involved and the guy did die, then they would all get killed. Prime directive stuff. Well, I don't think it was prime directive at all. Team Zawal just helped save a wounded higher Tazeel emperor. The way this originally played out was before we had added the gifted language. So they probably came through not able to speak the language. Here's this guy who's dying. Mm -hmm. The team commander says, if we try to help and he dies, and it looks like he's going to die anyways, then we're going to be blamed for his death and they're going to kill us. But the doctor went ahead anyways and saved him, and therefore they all said, oh, great, you saved him. And they, they now feel obligated to work with IDET. So it was a calculated risk that the doctor decided to do on behalf of the team against orders. Yep. That could have just as easily gone the other way. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, today, you know, if this was happening, then they would know that that was a wounded high emperor, which would make any difference, really. Because if you'd made a mistake and it was just this soldier, then they might have forgiven you. But they're definitely not going to forgive you for being involved in the death of their emperor. Of course, I'm wondering, how was he wounded? Did someone try to kill him? He could have been injured in a hunt. Yeah. It could be that somebody attacked him. We'll get to that sort of thing, I think, when we get to the personality and views. It does say that Ided is explorer slash warriors, and warriors are not hunters. Warriors are people who conduct war. So therefore, they have war. So it could have been in battle that this happened. That does imply then that there isn't a world government. It probably isn't one with, with the Iron Age culture. It's just not yeah, enough. Yeah, they all clans and small villages and stuff. Right. But these are the most important ones because they have the thing from the gods. Right. Yeah. <laughs> would have been, if anything, it would have been like our Mecca, a religious. There would be Tazil from all over the general area making pilgrimages to the Holy Shrine every year. And it says here, the fringes are Tamak's gift. So apparently there is a deity that may have been credited with creating the fringe path portal system and the ZLC, maybe a Termelern as Tamak. Or maybe Tamak is, is a corruption of Termelern. Right. Could be that Termelon. too. Yeah. Well, and after all, the Termelern said that everybody on Earth's were Termelern. Right. Therefore... Right. The Termelon could have appeared on that world through the portal and changed the culture. Tazeel could mean, like how we have humans and it means people. Usually when a race describes themselves, it's their word for people. And that T apostrophe beginning could have been something that this Termelon that they worship could have, they could have somehow used that to describe themselves. And they call their planet Trazon. Which sounds so much like a, a bad 60s TV movie, sci-fi movie name. Uh, <laughs> We're from the planet Trazon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, their voice is gravelly bass, so they talk like this. We did actually post a request for questions about the Zazeel in our Facebook group, Fringeworthy RPG Fans. And we actually got some. One from Peter, who's unfortunately, because of uh, family engagements, couldn't make it tonight. Then one from Todd Zercher. Do you want to hold off on those, or do you want to deal with them first? I think we could handle them now. I mean, they're pretty standard questions. Things that the gamers would want, and game masters would want to know right off the bat about if you're running this race or you're <laughs> using them as NPCs. I think these are things that Probably should be taken care of right away. Yep. Let's go first question, John. I believe it is, do the Tazeel use modern equipment and weaponry? Well, it does say in the write-up that the Tazeel won't use firearms. because They feel that they're basically there's little honor in using a firearm that can kill someone from distance or well, so no, easily. It's not the distance matter. A blade or a bow is handy. Firearms, let's say there are no blades or bows handy. They'll pick up a firearm and they'll be firing. It's like, okay, I'm going to shoot you now with this dishonorable weapon because I have nothing else to use. Give them a blade or a bow and because that's what they've been raised with, well, they will it's eviscerate a, you. Well, it's also more personal. It is yes. a personal attack. 
yeah, those type of weapons, because I took four years of composite form of Kung Fu, those forms of weapons, archaic weapons, are an extension of your body. They are meant to be smooth and graceful. A firearm is jerky, loud, smelly, shakes around in your hand. So yeah, for them, because of that Iron Age mindset, they're going to use the blades and the bows because it's muscle-powered. It is them making the kill, using as much of their physical energy as possible. As opposed to a firearm, you're pulling some finger muscles. Yeah. You read the personality views, Tazeel are all about the honor. Mm -hmm. They're going to make sure that it is an honorable kill, that they put their all into using these weapons. Mm -hmm. So I would doubt that they would use a modern firearm unless they had no other choice, like it says in the last sentence of the write-up on uh, page 27 of Fringeworthy D20. Yeah. Now, does that mean, as, as you pointed out in our, our pre-talk, that they would not use, say, a composite bow or one of those oh, pulley no. bows? Oh, because that's pulleys, but they're still using their own muscle power. It's just the technology of a compound bow, which has pulleys and uh, gears and whatnot. They're still pulling on It's just composition of that compound bow gives them a lot more energy to put behind that arrow. There is a form of a spear. It's a spear sling. It's called like an atla. You put the end of a spear in this cup on, on basically another stick, and then you hurl it forward using the leverage that you're able to do to hurl the spear a lot harder and faster than you could hurl it yourself. Oh, yes. You're still using your own muscle power. You're just using better leverage. I think that they would be smart enough to figure out that that's what a compound bow is doing. Right. So it's still them doing it. But you also brought, Bruce, that the crossbows that you actually use, the crankback, the, the bowstring, so you can lock it in place, may not be used because, well, you're using a tool to cock the bow, basically. Even a weak leg could do it. Yeah. Right. And also, it's the whole, all I'm doing is pulling a finger back to pull a trigger. Yeah. Now, a traditional crossbow where you had to have the, the special little hook to pull back and so forth, that, they, that actually may be in use. That's still just using your own muscle power, and I think that would be fine. Here's something. They use swords and bows and knives and their bronze iron age level technology. In D20 parlance, they would be PL1. Mm -hmm. You give them polycarbonate weapons sharper than anything that they could forge. Oh, pigs and slop couldn't be happier than a Tazeel with a polycarbonate sword. Yeah. Or this good modern day steel. Oh yeah, even then. Heck, PL3 or 4 technology in their basic weapons. Mm -hmm. And heaven forbid if you were to give them like, and I don't know, this, this would be a stretch here, but I'm sure that a zeal might find this, energy-based melee weapons. Hey, vibroblades. Yeah. Yeah, like that. I didn't want to go into the whole lightsaber thing. Stay away from the lights there, but vibroblades actually makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mono whips and so forth. Yeah, monofilament stuff. Oh, man. Tazeel would have fun with that because they'd be looking, this just cut through a two-inch tree. This yeah. goes right here in my sheath. Carefully. <laughs> yeah. So let me ask you this question then. We know some weapons are probably used and others are probably was only used if there was no other choice. But what about other things? Like, would they use a cell phone or walkie-talkies? Uh, their PL1 technology. If you were to give a caveman a car, 
they would have no idea how to use it. They wouldn't have a mindset how to use it, and they would take probably the rest of their lives to figure out how to go about using it. I don't know about that. The only difference between a caveman and us is basically is his education. I mean, their, their brains are no different than ours. Well, yeah. I mean, you could have a caveman with a 200 IQ, but if he's raised for the first 20 years of his life to use mm-hmm. sticks and stones and you give him a cell phone, it's going to take a, a long time for him to be able to use it. And he may not feel comfortable using it. He'll be going, this is a little box that voices come out of. Yeah. I think it comes down to their uh, overall xenophobia or phobia in general. Tech yeah. These people are afraid of new things. I think they'd have a lot of problems with, with new things like cars and whatever. Perhaps a, a sword that might cut five times better than their current swords, but it weighs too little. So they don't want to use it because it doesn't have that nice meaty feel to it in their hand. We don't know. You know, We're just trying to interpret what we see off of this sheet here. And we don't know if they are, in fact, phobic in that sense. I would assume that they're not, simply because I think that makes them a more fun character to play. If you're a PC, you don't want to be constantly like, oh, don't give me that newfangled stuff like antiseptic. (laughs) That's bad mojo. No, you don't want that. You want them to be able to stand toe-to-toe with the other PCs. That would be along the lines of teaching them like during the downtime, where you'd be like, took them back to iDebt and you had to give them a little bit more of the six-month training course because you had to bring them up to speed on certain modern things. Yep. They might have had to have an eight- or nine-month training course instead of the six-month one at Alice Springs. Because at Alice Springs, you're taking into account that most of the tech, most of the stuff that they're going to learn at Alice Springs, they have a good grasp on going in. These guys being PL1, there's a lot of stuff even in the six-month training course that they're going to be going, huh? Yeah. MREs would be all, this is not food. This is not food. (laughs) Yeah. They wouldn't know what it is. They know what it would be. Yeah. I don't know why you'd say that, John. You were mentioning the Romans. They were at one point in the Iron Age, and, and they ate food that was mostly just porridges. Yeah, a porridge and a rice-based chicken uh, MRE are pretty close. Well, and bread too. There's still, if I have an MRE, it still is on its packaging and everything. Uh, it doesn't look like food. It looks like something else. Right, but I'm sure that they would be able to get. It. I would say also they they'd be carnivores, so a lot of stuff mm-hmm. they wouldn't be able to eat. Like you'd give them bread and just they'd be like this. No, give me some raw meat or, you know, give me a fire and I'll cook it. Or, yeah, I would see them as purely carnivores. I wouldn't see them as even omnivorous. Yeah. It's just that that's not necessarily good for them. We don't know about their diet. Yeah. See, if they are truly like that, where they're primarily carnivores, and yeah, they would want something that was pretty close to the walking around stage. That doesn't actually mean they haven't learned how to cook. Oh, I agree they've learned how to cook. Yeah, they learned oh, how to no, cook. no. They, they have the concept of fire, otherwise they wouldn't have the weaponry. Yeah. Doing some research, this is actually when I was doing research for FTL for a race of carnivores, the uh, Kimnar. Lions and tigers and so forth do actually get vegetables. They get it from their prey, from their intestines. Whereas in the intestines have been mostly digested, they love that because it's given them all the vegetables they need. <laughs> So I can see the deals having, you know, oh, and we have these sausages. You look at them, they're intestines. Yes, they're sausages. Have some. They're, they're very good for you. 
And of course, the humans are going. That's something you can eat. And notice, I say that's something you can eat. You can yeah. eat yes. <laughs> There's many cultures in the world where eating fresh squeezings from intestines was considered the height of delicacy. Yeah. The thing I'm really afraid of is that people are going to play these guys. If you want to, that's okay. But playing them along the lines of the classic. Uh, I don't want to use the word archetypes. More is more pejorative, you know, where they're just basically the man at arms hunter type, the deep woods grunting guy who stands by and he's a good fighter and he's with you all the time, and really miss out on the personality that these guys have. On the other hand, it says right here that their attitude in general is unfriendly, at least toward everybody besides their own race. Well, yeah, the gruff, taciturn. Hunter stalker, but he has this deep streak of honor, and if you get on his good side, he'll die for you. I mean, yeah. But see, it also says that his moral side is 35, which means that, generally speaking, he's not looking for what we consider justice and things like that. It only in regards to keeping honor. So to me, it sounds an awful lot more like the kind of the concept that they had over in Japan and China, where it was okay to just kill the random peasant in your way as long as you maintained your honor. Yeah, I'm looking at the old Blue Book version. Uh, 92. Not, and the temperament is 35, which means it's at the lower end of the human normal range. Temperament, for those of you who are unfamiliar, uh, in the original game, we actually had this two stats called temperament and motive. The lower the temperament, the more hostile a person would be, or at least race was in general. And the lower the motive, the more, uh, what was it? It's how altruistic they are. Yeah. So someone who's low motive is basically self-serving. Yes. Humans are 50. They're right in the middle. We're neutral. So Tazil's had a temperament of 35 and a motive of 40. They're a little bit more greedier than the average human but not by much. But they are a little bit more trigger-happy and a little more hostile to folks than, than humans are. Which is why I think it makes sense that they have this very strong honor system. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where if you make a deal and you shake on it, then okay, it's done. Nobody's going to be breaking anything, okay? You can turn your back on the guy and walk away. He's not going to stab you in the back. But up till then, until you nail him down, things aren't really what you think they are. That's right. Let's look at this next question from Peter. What is their religious beliefs? Multiple, monotheistic nature? Well, I would say, at the very least, it's probably pantheists. Why? Well, there's probably one god, Tamak. There may have been other gods. I mean, there was more than one Tamelon. There's a portal station right where everyone can see it. So there probably was more than one god walking out of there back in their prehistory. But it just the the first one just happened to be Tamak, and he's the one that basically yeah. came through, and the Tazil were there, and they saw him and made stories about him, and that became their yeah. whole religion. That yeah. and the portal station was a powerful artifact of this being, therefore they made it a whole shrine. Yeah, it's almost up there having Moses' tablets on display. We can touch them. There they are for those folks who are on the border edge of whether or not they really want to follow teachings to Mac, having the ring portal, ring station there, that seals the deal. Yes, there was a Tamak. There's his artifact. There's his shrine, his throne, or wherever the heck it is. Yeah, 
Yeah, so there are probably a higher percentage of true believers in Tamak than you would otherwise see in most cultures. Whether it's monotheistic or if it's pantheistic or if it's mixture thereof, there's Tamak and then there is his angels, or you want to call them. The angels could have been Melor. Yep. Oh, fact, the angels, they were able to change their form at whim and they could become us by touch. And yeah. as I said, the Termelorn and the Melor could have become a whole mythology for mm-hmm. Zeal. Tamak is the only one that we see named at the bottom of personalities and views. There could be a whole pantheon, and that would be up to the particular GM running the adventure on Trazon yeah. to come up with. All this here, folks, is conjecture based on the one-page write-up that we have here. In yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So you can go a lot of different ways, but there's still a lot of good information here. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. One is we were talking about the environment. First of all, we know that the sleep cycle is 30 hours awake and six hours of sleep, which means that this is a planet that doesn't revolve as fast as the Earth does. Mm-hmm. Our Earth Prime, as we would consider it. Yeah. So that means that the planet would get hotter in the daytime than we're used to and colder at night. That to me sounds like a desert world. Okay. At least an arid world. Not necessarily desert. Yeah, arid. Okay. Let's, let's use yeah. a, a better term. My desert By desert, folks, I meant arid. Oh, it could be out. like savannah. Yeah, savannah. That um, too. Prairie, you know. Right. But not Minnesota, land of a thousand lakes. No. Uh, no. It's definitely alternate geological. Right. And we also know the temperature is between 45 degrees and 130 degrees, so that means it tends toward the hot. Yeah, it likes it hotter. Or maybe that's actually a daily change. The fact that there's going to be a bigger difference between the day and the night, that could actually be the normal daily change. So 130 degrees in the day and then drop to 45 at night, yeah. So that, that would be a lot more desert-like. Trazon is an alternate Earth. It's where Earth formed differently, but still had life and still produced the Tazeel as the primary life forms. Leads into our next question. Todd Zercher, where are their primary colors and markings? Are they cold-blooded? Well, we know what their colors are because it says. It says they're green to black. Yep. So all kinds of modeling, I would imagine, in those directions. Mm-hmm. If you want to make them polka dot, go ahead. But I'm thinking that probably they had a natural camouflage. Uh-huh. Oh, probably tiger striped. I would almost want to say tiger striped if they have savannas. That would be cool. Yeah. I would say depending on if they were hunter stalkers, they would probably evolve to match the terrain, to match to to be able to blend in with that green to black. Okay, that's, I mean that's forest. Well, it could also be hills. Yeah. There's a lot of plains. That's true, too. And it also depends on the color of the vegetation, too. Yeah. yeah and and also be- because we have two different languages, we have Tazian and Taziel, we could say that there are two different types. Some that go more toward the green and go more toward the black, and those could be two different ethnicities, mm-hmm. I guess. But I like the idea of a, of a tiger-striped lizard. I think that sounds really cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And that actually does lead to the next question. Are they cold-blooded? And this is one where, it, it, with the temperature range, they, they almost could be cold-blooded. Yeah. But as Bruce has pointed out, there's a certain level of energy required to be a thinking being. So they may be, at, at, at the very least, what, we, what they would call lukewarm-blooded. That is, they produce enough heat through digestion or other means to keep their brain warm. 
but they're not like us. They're not like totally endothermic like we are. Right. We're warm blood. We produce heat. If they weren't able to maintain their body temperature, every time it dropped to 45 degrees, they'd go into hibernation. They'd have to. Yeah. Yeah. But they wouldn't be able to think. Antarctica is a special hell for them because of the, their higher temperature range. Antarctica is d- definitely a death trap for them. You, they go there and they just pass right out because it's too cold. Just because they are reptilian, they still have a primate physiology yeah. as opposed to a more reptilian physiology. Therefore, they would have to be what's lukewarm-blooded, as John would say, just in order for them to survive. Yeah. And yeah, Hatsumi, even... In the base, you're still going to have relatively warm clothing on. Once they go through the portal at Earth Prime, they'll just be like, um, no, we're, you need to get us out of here or something because this is just, <laughs> this is not cutting it. <laughs> yeah. If they're lukewarm-blooded, then parkas are not going to cut it. They'll need heated parkas. Yeah. If they're cold-blooded, then they have to have heated clothing because they won't produce any heat whatsoever and they will pass out in the dome. And you could do something like the gel pack type heat. Yeah. Because obviously that would be the best thing for them. Because mm-hmm. if you're in an icy thing and you have an electric powered parka, yeah, let's mix that with some water. No, they'd have to have like gel pack type. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, you never heard of hunter socks? Trev, you live in Michigan. You heard those, of hunter. I don't hunt. Yeah, but aren't those wired? Yeah, there's wired, but they're, but they're insulated. The hunter's socks, there's hunter's gloves, hot pants. Best way to put them. <laughs> they have hunter's pants where they, they run wires through them, you know, and they basically keep you warm. And yeah. I it, work in an auto parts warehouse, and I can get from the shelf chemically, biologically safe chemical warmers. You squeeze them, and yep. they, they're pocket warmers, they're foot warmers. You could have those lining parkas and yeah. have them for the Tazeel. Yeah. But in any case, that's to keep in mind, when you run the Tazeel, like I said, a lot of this is up to the GMs. If you want to make them cold-blooded, go right ahead. But understand that Antarctica is a very special hell for them because they cannot produce body heat, and they will pass out and die. Oh, no, I think we could classify <laughs> that as pretty much the bad side of hell for them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're all little slides, yeah. <laughs> but on the plus side, since they have a plus four bonus to their strength, they can carry an awful lot of heating. Yep, yeah. that's true. And a kind of plus three, yep. which means, <laughs> you know, they're hardy anyway, so it would probably take them a little while longer before they just, you know, yeah. thud. Yeah. It really just depends on how warm their blood is and how much energy their muscles produce as far as heat is concerned. The average adult size is six feet to seven foot four. They're going to need a pretty good mm-hmm. inner heating system in order to keep all of that going if a temperature drops. But let's say they had a superior shivering system okay, where their muscles could convulse in small groups to keep producing heat. As long as they had lots of food, then they could probably produce a prodigious amount of body heat to keep themselves going. Well, that is good. That's another good point about food. If they're cold-blooded... It's basically, uh, what day is it? Uh, Thursday? Uh, let's see, I had something to eat two weeks ago. So I probably have, should have something to eat today. Let's see, alligators, it's one goat a month for an alligator. It takes them a month to digest it. John, it still depends on how much they exert themselves. That's true, too, yeah. They're exerting themselves all the time. You know, birds 
are warm-blooded and they're supposedly descended from reptiles. They have huge metabolisms and they go through food like crazy. Oh, yeah. So it could be either way. But yeah, the, the more cold-blooded they are, the less food they're going to need, more lethargic they're going to be in, in cold weather. But they're going to be very good at handling really hot weather. Oh, yeah. Alice Springs so. in the summertime, it's, oh, this is perfect for us. <laughs> The average human is dying out there, and they're like, wait, it's great. What are you talking about? Yeah, it like maybe gets to be, what, 100? And they'll be like, eh, this is about maybe early morning for, you know, this is like maybe 10 o'clock on our morning here. You know, this ain't bad. It's <laughs> just stretching out the muscle weather here, yeah. Alice Springs will hit 110 occasionally. So, yeah, it's, in, it's right in their range. One of the questions was about their young. Mm-hmm. So we look up here on the, the sex gestation thing. We see that they produce two to four offspring at a time, but only 20% of them survive. So that says to me that they don't have their young like we do inside of our bodies, that they do produce eggs, that they are produced outside the body because their survival is so low. Now, I think that they still nurture their young because... They only produce two to four animals that throw out eggs and don't care about them, like frogs and fish and things like that. They produce hundreds and thousands of eggs because only a small portion of them has to survive and there's lots of them. But since they only produce two to four births per time, that's saying that in a normal birth, only one is going to survive. Yeah. And that sounds to me like an egg laying, Mm -hmm. but more like what the penguins do. You know, the penguins lay a take an egg and they put them on their feet and stuff like that. Well, obviously we have more than one egg here, but I'm just saying is that I think that they probably would pay attention to their nests instead of just leaving them and running off. And it only takes nine, six days for them to hatch. And they're probably just the cutest little things. So you can hold in your hand. They will grow those things the size of Wilt Chamberlain, you know, they could get teeth real early and they could be pretty nippy. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I've got a Labrador retriever, and my wife's arms were covered with cuts and, and, and abrasions from him just unconsciously gnawing on her all the time. Yeah. So that thick, scaly skin of the Tzeal would be like, ah, shrugging that off. But us, we'd be like, get him away from us. Ow, now, ow, 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 ow. Ow, 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 yeah. Now, ow. of course, we're assuming that they raised their children. Now, it could be it was survival of 20%. I'm going to... Take a tip of hat with something we, I did for their game, I ran. Maybe they go out to the egg-laying area, and they lay their eggs. Make sure they're taken care of, make sure they're, they're, oh, they're fine. But when it comes time for birthing, they leave the area. And whoever makes it back home is, is the other ones they're going to raise. The ultimate fight for survival. I mean, they are more competitive, a temperament 35, Less nurturing. Yeah, less nurturing. Yeah, it, it could be that the reason for the 20% survival rate, which means sometimes there's no kids show up. So you have two kids, two eggs, and they have a 20% chance of uh, surviving. Neither one shows up. <laughs> well, that would kind of imply two things. One is they have a fairly strong racial memory, so they know where to go to come home. Scent trails. And secondly, it means that they come out of the egg pretty darn competent. They don't have no trouble moving around. Their locomotion, at least, would be pretty high. Well, that is kind of common for a lot of lizards and a lot of reptiles, that they are fairly motile. They are fairly active when they get born. I'm looking at the old rules. They actually have smell type of A, which means they have acute senses. They can smell which way home is. 
says they have smell plus four. Yeah. So you're saying that the smell of the community, they would be able to smell that at a distance and just have to get themselves over there. So any of them that had misshapen legs or anything like that, they'd just die on the way and nobody would worry about them. Only the healthy Tazeel would make it back to the village and, and join the community. Well, or the ones that didn't get eaten by the local predators. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Mm, you could even say, uh, going out on a limb here, and this would be preference for people running, working from friends with the D20, those feet that they would have track. They could use track and by scent, extraordinary or supernatural ability, like in the back of the monster manual, to find their community that way. They just make a survival check every so often and just go mm. that way, track by smell. I think a survival check would be the best way of doing it. Yeah. Because they have a, a, a plus four smell, that's why I would just, me personally, I'd give them uh, track as a feat and then track by scent and go from there. Yeah. Again, that's just me. That's how I would see it just with that high smell score. So, Sure. Laying of the eggs and letting them come back. Yeah, it's a good way to weed out the people who would end up being bad hunters and trackers. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I could see that as a, a societal yeah. thing. And with that 35 on the moral side, then, you know, and their attitude of unfriendly, well, it's like the Bill Cosby routine. I can make another one just like you. Yeah, yeah I'm watching this world take you out, and I'll make another one look oh, just yeah. like you. Yep. Well, the thing is, it's humans would see that. You know, the humans would be like, oh, my God, that's cruel. You just leave your kids out there to die. And it's like the strong ones, the ones that are useful to the community are the ones that make it home. Yeah. What honor is there in raising weak children? Yeah. Well, right. Well, yeah. And, of course, humans, you know, we, with how we are with our kids, because, you know, we human babies are born and we, can bear, we can't do anything. We got to cry to get everything done for us. Right. The zeal, if they can move quicker, if they're already, you know, crawling or even walking by the time they're born— Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're going to say, well, they need to, you know, basically learn how to make it home. They make it home, fine. We're nice to them. We'll teach yeah. them what they need to know. They have to make yeah. it home. And it could be even, let's say, a mile. Yeah. Yeah. And the local versions of vermin, rats, whatever, the local predation can easily take out four-fifths of the group. Unless these people go into heat at a certain time of the year, then they're going to be dropping these clutches of eggs off and random times all the time. So that would support a local vermin population. Yeah, well, with a gestation of 96 days, that's only three months. Yeah. Well, that doesn't mean it doesn't happen only once a year. Yeah. I mean, it could. I'm not saying that. I'm, I agree with you, John. I think that probably they produce young whenever they feel like it. They would have a heat cycle of about every three months. Yeah. They're like humans, ready to be pregnant at any time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, I know humans who every three months, they're they're that way anyways. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know yeah. humans who are ready to be pregnant every three months. Yeah. Oh, no, no. But the desire is there. Trust me. Some of the people I know. And, anyway, and, next and question. The thing is, well, the thing, well, the thing is, though, they would have to be regularly able to, at a moment's notice, have kids because, well, with only 20% surviving and the most eggs they get are four that almost guarantees they have to have multiple births over a year just to make sure they have survivors. And looking at and looking at their family value under personality and views, defending the high. So family isn't as important as defending the higher caste. They're going to be wanting to crank out eggs in order to get as many soldiers yeah. as possible. And if yeah. it means yeah. that they, you know, their biggest test, 
if you can survive as a baby the local flora and uh, the local fauna and the mild trip back to the city, we'll teach you from there. You just got to make it back from where we birth you. Right. Well, this also means that when you have a disease in a fringeworthy party, they're not going to be very solicitous. Having your back is, is going to mean something entirely different to them. You go and get yourself into a fist fight, they're going to wait out and see how it goes. Well, no, they're bonded to help the eye dead. Yeah, but with the temperament, you're right, Bruce. Yeah, they'd be like, okay, if somebody attacks you and you do not provoke them, I will defend you. Right. If you are dumb enough to get into a fight through your own stupidity. <laughs> and if the odds are fair... Yeah, <laughs> it's it's your problem, you know. Yeah, yeah. And you get hurt, and he's like, "Well, it's just a little cut." Well, yeah, but it's I need stitches. It says, "Well, go get stitches then." Don't talk to me about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the old, they're not going to be there, the shoulder to cry on. Not very sympathetic. No. Yeah. No, 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 though, no. Though I can see in- interesting situations happening when the first mated pair show up in Alice Springs and start raising the kids the old-fashioned way. The maybe mom and mom and dad's raised us. Oh, dear. That would be a PR nightmare for Unita. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If humans were to see that, yeah, they would just, as I said, they'd be sitting there going, oh, my God, they just leave their kids to die? Where Where are they from, Sparta? Yeah, exactly. Very much like Sparta. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah but they also produced the toughest soldiers in the world at the time. Sure. Yeah. It's like the stories about the Chinese circus what they put these kids through to make them into fantastic acrobats and performers is very brutal. Oh, the Peking Opera, yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, they produce absolutely amazing performers. You do know who was trained in Peking Opera. Jackie Chan. Yes. His crew in the early movies, the overweight guy. Sammo Hung. All from the Peking Opera. They were so fluid and agile. And yeah, looking at the Tazeel, yeah, they're warriors. I mean, it comes right down to it. The zeals are warriors. Well, they wouldn't be agile. They're they're more the stand there and take it type thing with a strength of plus four, a con of plus three, and a dex of plus one. Well, their dex is plus one, which means they are agile. Yeah. Yeah, but they're hardier and stronger than agile. I mean, they're a little quicker than human beings. You're going to take a punch at them, and they're going to look at you and go, is that the best you can do? Womp, yeah. <laughs> you're up, you know? Yeah. I want to go then and talk about the racial traits. Okay, I mean, I got nothing against them, except that this is one of the characters that doesn't have any kind of level adjustment. Now, those people who are not playing D20, you you could probably care less about this. But generally speaking, that in the game, all the characters are supposed to have the same level of power as you generate them. So there's supposed to be a compensation for... A really good thing, you're supposed to have something else that's inferior. And when I look at these racial traits, the only thing is a minus three in intelligence, okay? And a minus two in charisma. But you get a plus four in strength and a plus three in con, a plus one in wisdom, and a plus one in dex. That doesn't add up. If I'm rolling basic stats, I could stack all my high scores in in charisma and intelligence, knowing that they'd get kicked out, but the other ones would get boosted up to make my intelligence and con charisma average, but everything else would be really good. So I don't see this as a fair thing unless their tech expertise is supposed to somehow be a great detriment, which I really don't see at all. Okay, Bruce, let's see. From what I know of the DMG and from what I know of Savage Species, the indie book for making monsters into players, I would say with a strength plus four, comp plus three, dex plus one, wisdom plus one, 
Intelligence minus three, charisma plus two. Minus two. Throw in scent because of the smell. As I said, that's a preference, but I'm, that's just me. I would see that as a logical assumption. Mm-hmm. I would say probably a plus two level adjustment. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too, just like the Mixie. I sent a, a note off to Richard when I first read this, suggesting that it's never been made. I think those of you who are playing the D20 version should add in a level adjustment of, as you said, plus two to make the Dezeal parity. Because initially, they're not going to know much about tech, but they're going to catch up really fast. There's the Feet and Dragon Star, tech proficiency. And you can do this as a, as a rule of thumb. You don't need to sit there and give them the feet and just say, okay, after they go through an entire level of dealing with IDET people, they've got enough of a grasp on modern tech where they can use it. They might feel a little uncomfortable, but at least they know what a calculator is. They know what a computer is. They know what an ATM is. They know what a gun is. And just that's role-playing. That You don't even need to make a game mechanic for it. Right. It's just also from Todd. What is their level of technology, and do they have something that IDET would be interested in acquiring? Well, as we said, they're Iron Age, so, so they'll have Iron Age tech. D20 parlance, folks, that's PL1. As for technology, there's not much IDET would want, unless it's, of course, it's a market for Tazeel-made swords. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, maybe the craftsmanship of the swords is enough to merit... Yeah. Or the design of the swords. You might get something like a Kopesh. You might get weird-looking swords like that with enough time that Tazeel might be able to craft them to human hands. Because let's face it, if you're seven foot four, a sword that fits their hand nicely, well, not in game mechanics, but it would look kind of weird for a human to wield it. It wouldn't be where they'd take a proficiency minus to it, but... A Tazeel kid's sword might end up being something that a human child might have to use two-handed because of the weight factor and the balance factor. But yeah, I'd say Tazeel-made weapons would be nice collector's items. Mm -hmm. Other than that, maybe arts and crafts. They would be like, oh, look at the novelty. This is something a Tazeel made. Yeah. There's nothing that says they don't have herbalism, that perhaps they have some pharmaceuticals that we might find uh, desirable. And because Trazon is a different alternate Earth with alternate geology, this is something you have to think about. When you change the geology of a world, you will change plant life, animal life. There may be plants there with, with beneficial medicinal properties that we can use on Earth. They may not grow on Earth because we may not get hot enough. They grow just fine on uh, Trazon, so there may be a trade there in these medicinal plants. Also, because they are an intelligent lizard race, that means that they can bring to IDET a great deal of information about lizard biology in the sense of experiential. How does it feel when a lizard eats this kind of food? Herpetology. The problem with most animals and treating them is the fact the animal can't tell you where it hurts. and They can't tell you when they don't like something. So you could test out medicines on the Tazeel and find out, well, the reason that the animals don't want to eat this is because they don't like the taste of it. But if you add a little bit of this, it might turn out that Tazeels really like peppermint, for example. And maybe that would change some of the ways we treat animals in our world that are, as you say, snake-like, reptiles, a number of species that are on the edge of extinction here on Earth. We might be able to provide some better support for if we knew more about what was pleasing to somebody of reptile nature. We did get another question, which was about the physiology. Folks, if you don't actually have the game yet, uh, Tazeel are bipedal. So they do walk on two legs. Primate they, physiology. Two hands, two arms, two feet, two legs. Uh, four fingers and a thumb. Finger. 
Yeah. Eyes mostly out front. Yeah. yeah. Two but ears, they, so they have stereoscopic hearing and a decent but, field of vision. Whether they, they do see not, color black and white, we don't know. But they do not have tails. No. Or at least no tail we can see. So if there is a tail, it's probably vestigial. Yeah, know, like a nub. Yeah. yeah. But, but looking at their feet, one question is, how do they walk? And looking at those big toes they got, I almost want to say they, they're toe walkers. Yeah, it looks like they walk on tippy toes. Yeah. Not quite digital. Well, no, yeah, they look. Well, no, they got human-looking knees, but it, it's almost digitigrade feet, or not digitigrade. I don't know what that means, Trav. Like dogs. Dogs have a digitigrade. Their rear legs digitigrade. Plantigrade, I want to say. Well, you see yeah. how white those feet are. Yeah. That's good for walking on sand. You ever see a camel's foot? Right. Or mud. That is. Yeah. Or they could be gripping, too. So you never know. They may descend from a tree-dwelling lizard, for all we know. And that's just what's left of them being able to grip trees. They have a heel claw. Yeah. A claw, I think they call it. A duke, yeah. yeah, back there, which they do a back kick. They can stick you with that yeah. claw. But they are male. And, yes, they're lizards. So don't go drawing female tazeels with breasts. They don't have them. Yeah, that would mean that they are not mammals. They would be egg layers then. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they're the lizards. Liz- be a little smaller, but other than that, that'd be the only way you could really tell a male from a female is by size and build. Right. And if they have interior genitalia using a cloaca, which is a slit, then you wouldn't really be able to tell at all. Yeah. Because yeah. the females would have the same gravelly bass voice that the uh, males do. Hello there. So you come here often? So it would probably be by skin markings or size that you could tell the difference between the males and the females. Yeah. yeah. Or because of their great sense of smell, maybe the females smell better than the males. Yeah, that's possible too. Yeah. You look at a bunch of zeal and say, okay, men, and, and half of them raise their hands and say, first off, we're not men, we're zeal, and two, we're not men. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> all right. Well, the yeah. kicker would be that it's like, as we all know, throughout all of nature, the female is the deadlier of the species. I give yeah. them that prop. Right. Yeah. I would yeah. see a female Tazeel warrior is just somebody I wouldn't want to cross at all. <laughs> Since there isn't so much involved in nurturing a family. There would be less division like that. But have female and male warriors. Just looking at this, they probably do not form lasting relationships. When Bruce says Sparta, he's closer than he thinks. Probably aren't families. The kids show up and they're raised by the village. Or yeah, the city. family is defending the high, so they'll yeah. just mate with whoever in order to make the eggs to just make more warriors. When you have a whole bunch of young'uns come crawling into the village, it's just kind of like, you know, if you feel like raising one, you just grab one and yeah. send them over towards your hut. It says play. Games teach hunt. Right. Yeah. Which means for them, playing is just, okay, today we're going to play hide and seek. You sit there and you got to hide from the predator that's roaming in, out on the plains out right. there. Yeah. If you come home before this time, you've evaded them. Or if I find you, then I'm going to beat you. Yeah. Yeah. And if I find you within a mile of, of home, I'm going to kill you. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. See, that, that, that's the thing. With how the Dazeel raise kids, with what we're conjecturing here, Yeah. 
humans would be appalled by this. They would just be shocked and just in awe mm. and oh my gosh. And because this would be a society, humans would have to leave a lot of their sensibilities on the fringe platform. They could not be bringing that stuff to yep. the Dazeel because the Dazeel would look and go, you people are weak. You nurture and coddle your children. First of all, you birth children that can barely do anything, and then you coddle them for far too long. Yep. How you got to survive as a race is beyond me. How you got on the fringe portals is not even imaginable. Yeah. And they yeah. would. There would be a lot of there, – there probably was on that first contact a lot of just as they got to know each other and just you know seeing how things were – there was probably a lot of, of that type of talk until that team zoologist saved that high. And yeah. then they realize we're bonded to them. They helped us. We have to help them. You know? Right. Yeah. Trapped by their own honor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but they also learned that human beings keep their promises, and that's also good. And also, based on this question on how their skulls laid out, this question from Mark. I'm going to mispronounce your name, Mark. Hohenadel. Sorry, Mark, if I'm mispronouncing it. Look at the drawing of the zeal. They have cheeks. Now, you may say, yeah. so? Cheeks means they can chew their food. Yeah. That means they, they don't eat chunks and swallow them whole. They can actually eat their food and chew it and digest it a whole lot better than they normally would if they just ate chunks. They have evolved around cooked food. So, yeah, yeah. they probably do cook their food because, one, it's more nutritious that way. Tastes better. Easier to digest. It's just something to keep, keep in mind there. And, yeah, it looks like they do have binocular vision, but... I would say along the line of T-Rex, that is, there's a spot in between where both eyes cover, but then it's one eye, one eye to your side. That means the Tazeel are going to be turning their head a lot as they walk. Yeah. It's going to be sort of a rocking back and forth motion. Like birds. Like Chi yeah, like Chiana in the Peacekeeper Wars with her new eyes, how she had to constantly move her head around to see. Yeah. Basically, that's how the Tazeel, and also they'd be sniffing and, well, let's see, they're hearing straight. Basically, they'd be sniffing the air constantly and moving their head back and forth mm -hmm. to look around to make sure that they don't miss anything. That snout or muzzle of theirs, you know, gives them a lot more space to have a better smeller. It's your olfactory sense's ability to take in particles of what it is that you are smelling. And, of course, your smell and taste are linked, which... Mm -hmm. They have a taste of plus one and a smell of plus four. If you smell uh, dog droppings, that's because there are particles in the air of it hitting your olfactory sensors. With a nose on them like that, they have a lot more room for those sensors to be. Those sensors are much larger than a human's, therefore the plus four smell. Yeah. Which means also bad smells affect them. If they sit there and take a whip of something bad, a tizio will be gagging. Yeah. They also would have bad allergies if they were to go to a jungle world or a forest world or a hay field or atlanta <laughs> yeah <laughs> or detroit but, in the summer with how bad we get yeah yeah, yeah i mean it's it's terrible down here just be sneezing their heads off now because they have a limited binocular vision but it's straight ahead so there's a small field vision that is truly binocular they can really focus on a target when they need to but they also means their eyes probably are independent because they don't have true binocular vision like we do. They don't have a flat face. They have a snout. The eyes can be independent in that case, looking in different directions. 
Wow. So, so they'd have a really wide field of vision. Yeah. yeah, that would be really creepy seeing that, and all of a sudden they're, you think he's looking at you, and all of a sudden he sees something coming the other way. It's like, how did you see? And then he shows you, and you're just like, ah! <laughs> Humans have 60-degree field of vision, I think. I mean, it's wider. The, the, the peripheral's wider, but really it's like 60 degrees. For Tazeel, it's more like 120, maybe 140 degrees field of vision. Oh yeah, their peripheral vision's got to be great. If you if you're looking ahead and it's twelve o'clock high, their peripheral vision has got to be back at like four and eight. Yeah, because mine's at I'm doing this now and mine's at six and nine. Yeah. So yeah, the Tazeel, their peripheral vision's just got to be awesome, which yeah. means it's not three sixty, but it's pretty darn close. It's going to be very hard to sneak up on a Tazeel, especially between that mm-hmm. and their sense of smell. That's why they make fantastic security and scouting. Yeah. And, and to point out, too, yes, they, they do have claws in their feet, but unfortunately the artist who drew the hands drew them curled, so we can't see if there's any claws on them. <laughs> I don't see the pinky holding up. I don't see a claw. So I think yeah. they've evolved from uh, yeah. hand claws. They might have yeah. That might have become a vestigial thing, and just the feet claws might have been there for yeah. Uh, Basically, they may have the equivalent of fingernails. Yeah, which means a claw attack would not be anything you'd get damaged for. And unlike a lizard, which most of them are three toes, one toe in the back, they have four toes to the front. Yeah, I think that might be also still with them walking on sand to have as wide a foot as possible. Yeah, but I'm looking at fingers. I'm counting fingers, and they have four fingers, and they must have a thumb. So they yeah. actually have have five digits on their hands. So that thing sticking out the back actually might be a relocated thumb. Big toe. Yeah, big toe. Which means they're definitely not Earth reptiles. Because Earth reptiles don't have five digits. They have four digits. They are definitely a different species of reptile. Yeah. yeah. They might even have a, a ceremony mm-hmm. in the name of Tamak to get rid of the tails altogether. They might have... Yeah. I wouldn't call it a circumcision, but basically they'd have a very sharp like metal knife and cut that nub off if they make it back to the village. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And it might be a, like a rite of passage. If they make it back to the village, fine. You're not considered an animal. You you can live among us. Fine. You lose that tail. Well, it also yeah. says that they wear uh, lacquered armor. So it might be that the cutting off of the tail would be the, the point where you become a real hunter and you're now, you, the armor would go over that spot where that bulge would be otherwise. Yeah. yeah. So to fit in your armor properly, you have to have that cut off. Well, That's yeah. your proof that you're a man, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. yeah. Lizard. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I said this, that we have to say this applies to, to the Tazeels on the continent they are, because the Iron Age, Iron Age was not known as the Age of Expression. So if there if there are other tazeels on other continents, they may be different. We yeah, don't these know. These are just the tazeel at the portal station city. This village that has the portal station, it would be a big city. It would be well, okay. Still, one didn't have exactly a big city. It would be a bigger village than normal. There would be people making pilgrimages from the surrounding. Maybe oh, I don't know. 40, 50 miles around this, this particular portal station oh. to come and see and worship at this, this shrine of the ring. Back in the Iron Age, it was not unusual for traders to travel from Europe to China. 
you actually have a, a artifact of a god sitting there. Yeah, I, anyway, on the continent they'll come from. They may take them a year or more to get there, but yeah, like Mecca, everyone's got to make the, make the pilgrimage to the to the artifact. You know, okay. once in a life. You know, so you may be getting Tazeel from the other side of the continent showing up, and those are some tough son of a guns. Well, we shouldn't assume that this is a monoculture for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at our culture. I mean, just even mm. as far as the culture, uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm in the Detroit area. Bruce is in Atlanta, as he says. John's up in uh, Washington State. The mm-hmm. cultures within the United States are different. There are right. things that I could say, if I were to go down to Atlanta, there are things I could say, and some born and bred Southerners will go, huh? Washington State. I could say something. They'll go, wait a minute, what did you say? So even in the same country, there are different subcultures. There would be different subcultures with the Tazeel as well. This is a an artifact of a god, and therefore the current Tazeel emperor may be the current Tazeel emperor. He's the one that him and his people have been holding this now for the past hundred years, but you never know. Some other Tazeel may come along and take it from him. It actually may happen on a regular basis, I hate to say. The, the, they are just the current owners of the... Well, it depends on how big the nations are that you're talking about. If they're fairly small, then yes, this could happen all the time. Yeah. Could, but if you have a really big nation, then it takes a really big war to displace it. That's true. John, if they're a PL1 Iron Age, that was villages. Most villages, they learn to be self-sufficient from what I've gathered. Therefore, well, I don't... They have nations. Right, but it's supposed to be the equivalent of a year 1300, so maybe we have a disjoint between the two. Yeah. I'm just thinking that, you know, in the 1300s, you had people going back and forth be- you know, between England and France conquering each other right and left. Yeah. So yeah. you could easily have the hot potato of the, of the shrine being passed back and forth between at least two groups on a regular basis. Oh. Don't forget, Egypt was, a, it was an empire with Bronze Age weapons. India was Iron Age, and it was basically fairly large kingdoms. China was an Iron Age kingdom. I stand correct, then. Yeah. But then again, we could actually have multiple kingdoms. He's just the emperor who who happened to got the the shrine this time around. And Uh, here's another thing to to talk about with the zeal and this being a religious artifact. Some of the worst wars that we... And I don't want to get into a a match about religion and whatnot. (laughs) I don't want to push any buttons here, but I want to bring up a point. Since this Termellon portal station, it is a religious artifact to the Tazeel. You know that any wars that are fought, as far as emperors changing, are bloody because it's all religious zealotry. Okay, yeah, I did team. Uh, Go to Trazon and check out how they're doing. Why are we in the middle of a war zone? Change of the guard again. They're going through another power struggle. <laughs> the high priests and so forth are all fringe-worthy. I would wager a very good bet that the emperor also is probably fringe-worthy. Oh, yes. Well, that, I would think that'd be a prerequisite. Yeah. yeah. Let's say somebody yeah. of noble caste who's fringe-worthy is in line to be emperor. And let's say when the current emperor dies, well, then this next guy might be being groomed to be emperor. So it might be a right of succession based on, not necessarily, it won't be genetics, obviously, because Fringeworthy is not necessarily passed down through genetic lines, unless maybe the Tazeel have learned, if we have female uh, priestesses and an empress, and we find out they're with egg, before they hatch, send them through the portal. 
Well, A, before they lay. Right, yeah, right, yeah. okay. Again, I stand corrected. But before <laughs> they pop those eggs out, send them through the portal. We found out that it may not help them survive any better, but we know darn well that those children will hatch and they will be able to guard the portal. That will be their job. Oh, but this will be a major religious ceremony. It will be all pomped in circumstances. It will be there will be priests waiting on the other side to bless them as they come on through. And it, you know, this is like an all-day event or oh, an all-week event. And that's the thing with the fringeworthiness. But anything connected to the portal station for them is going to be ceremonial, and that's why the first IDET team was treated as gods. Yeah. Non-Zeo coming through this portal, mm -hmm. they must be gods. They must know Tamak. And one last thing, which is that we know that they have crystals because it says they made the uh, crystals glow. So there's at least one, probably a couple crystals here on the Tazeel world. So if you're starting a early campaign and you want to know where some crystals are, there's some right here. Yep. Now prying them out of the hands of the Tazeel might be more and a little difficult. They oh, were yeah. handed down by Tamak. So, yeah, good good, good luck getting to hold those crystals. Right, exactly. <laughs> and again, folks, like I said, these guys are going to be religious zealots. They will fight to the death to make sure that those crystals don't leave Trezan. Yeah. You are going to be having them just going nuts on you with blades and spears and arrows and if you try to steal the crystals, game masters, it would behoove you to make sure that those crystals are hard earned if they manage to get one off onto the platform. Actually, and to go back to the subject we had at the beginning of our podcast, that the Zealum, if anyone would know about the attenuation properties of crystals, it probably would be the Zeal. Good point. Yes. <laughs> it depends on how they use them, because if the touching of the crystal is only for the most powerful warriors yeah. and most honored, well, they might be deselecting such a small number of them mm -hmm. that they may not be actually creating any of them. That's true, too. I mean, not that you could tell, is what I'm saying. Or maybe the highs know and just they decide mm -hmm. not to use it because they want to keep that number small. Yeah. They want to avoid somebody taking over and becoming the new emperor as much as possible. Yeah. yeah. That would be great. Here you are finally in the middle campaign and someone finally figures this out. And the Zeal's like, oh, what, you didn't know that? <laughs> <laughs> and of course the human be like, son of a... Because yeah. <laughs> it says right here, doesn't offer opinions. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I can imagine that you know there's probably a priestly class who's learned how to find Frenchworthy. Because oh, yeah, you always you want to get more priests. Yeah, you, you want to have a nice cadre there. High crystal use skill. Yeah, you know that the emperors and the priests and the guards, well, not necessarily guards, but the emperors and the priests would have high crystal use. Right. And they're not going to go on the fringe paths because they've got a job right there mm -hmm. doing their work. Well, no, yeah. it even says entry was forbidden. They don't go on the portal. They don't go through that portal until they get bonded to Ida. It's like, you have to follow us through the portal. But but right. but we're not supposed. You have to follow us through the portal. Your honor bound to us. You have to do what we ask of you. Not tell, ask mm -hmm. of you. They're going to be looking, right. going, okay, here I go. And you know the Tazia will sit there and try to be the stout warrior, but inside he's going to go, 
We're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. Oh, my gosh. I lived. (laughs) Just like on Earth, just because you find out your friend really doesn't mean you want to be an explorer. Yeah. Yeah, The same way the priest would have a very good reason to say, I'm not going to become an explorer. I have a job here, you know, leading my flock. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that it would probably be uh, somewhere further down the feeding chain who would be sent through the portal. It would be the guards. And they might not have that knowledge about the attenuation of Fringeworthy. That's true. I always find it interesting to read their traits. So the good traits are they're honorable, which we've mentioned many times. They're quiet, so they're taciturn. They don't speak very often. Intelligent. Which is pretty good considering they got a minus three. Yeah. Dependable. Sometimes have a sense of humor, even if they don't admit to it. A wry sense of humor. So, yeah. yeah. And they try to teach hunting. So, you know, I can see this. You're out in the pathways, and he goes, so, uh, we go get something fresh to eat, or are we going to eat this stuff again? <laughs> yeah. I think it's more like, I want to go hunting. Let me bring you along. And the reason will be so I can teach you hunting, but really it's for me to go hunt. Yeah. Then there's the bad traits. They enjoy live food. So, yeah, they know how to cook. But you know what? Sometimes it's fun to rip the head off that thing and swallow it and eat it right there and then. You know? that's, just, that's probably just a trait from their lizard reptilian past. That, yeah. That's just something they're not going to get rid of. Yep. Uh, temperamental and easily offended. Well, yeah, with a 35 allegiance and what motive. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. If uh, saved by a human, he becomes bonded to protect. So, yeah, you save the life of a Tazeel. You got a buddy who is never going to leave your side. Well, yeah, yeah and, and, and it's macro and micro. Not only is it the Tazeel are bonded with the humans of Earth Prime, but those Tazeel that left with that team, they're on that team. As long as that team is in some form together, those Tazeel will be, and well, even though Tazeel have a lifespan of not even 50 years, but they're going to be spending their time with that team. Oh, we're going to split you up. You, we have to send you another team. That Tazeel will be like, the hell you say. Mm-hmm. And then I did will go, okay, maybe you can stay with the team. <laughs> yeah. And they might even go as far as, no, we're a family. We are an honor family. We stay together. And then, of course, they get car sick, so which is going to be fun on the pathways. Well, I think that has a lot to do with the fact that their lack of technological experience. Right. Let's yeah. see. Don't don't offer opinions. Well, yeah, they're not going to sit there and yeah. opinion is one thing. Fact is another. They yeah. deal with what they can see, what they can hear, what they can smell, what they know in their faith of Tamak. Opinion. Yeah. A tizio, hey, how does this look on me? They're going to just give you that look like, did you just ask me how that looked on you? <laughs> if you're asking about his camouflage, the response is, I see you. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Bad camouflage. If you ask the question, does this make me look fat? They will go, yes. Yeah, flat out. They, they're not going to sit there. And, well, they're honorable. They're not going to lie. Or they may say, you don't look fat. You are fat. (laughs) Like one of my favorite comedians bits, Bobby Slayton. Do these jeans make me look fat? No, your fat makes you look fat. Yeah, (laughs) that's what they're going to (laughs) say. I like to usually sing. That comes from before the gifted language because it's more like an Indian. Yeah, that's what we're trying to avoid. We really don't want you turning him into the pigeon English, the tribal manservant, big white hunter kind of concept. I think these guys deserve more than that. They are a very rich, vibrant race. And what we've given you people here today, 
you mm-hmm. can run with this. I mean, yeah. this has all been conjecture, but this is all based on what this one page. That's yeah. all that these, when we do these, uh, let's review this race this week, like we did with the Demixie on a previous cast. This is all conjecture from just what we see on this one page. These guys have a lot going for them. I mean, and it is incredibly simplistically easy to turn them into a stereotype or worse, a caricature. Yeah. We ask you, these guys just, they they beg to be expanded and broadened as far as characters and as a race and just go nuts, bring it to the forums, tritechgamers.com. Fringeworthy yeah. RPG fans on Facebook, the Yahoo groups were fringeworthy. If you have done stuff with Tazeel or any of the other races, please let us know. We'd love to hear it. Yeah. yeah. Yes, tell us what you've done with us. We want your help to bring the awesome to our table, too. For those you want to do Tazeel, just drop your voice and talk lower. And don't worry about trying to be pigeon English because they won't speak pigeon English. They'll speak per- right. perfectly fine English. Or you'll speak perfectly fine to Zillion. Zen. Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. Thanks for joining us for another TriTac Games podcast. We hope you've learned a lot of great things about the Zeal and that you get jazzed up about adding them to your campaign or certainly making them a little bit more obvious in your uh, alien core in your campaign. If you have good ideas on this, please bring it to our Facebook group and to our forums on uh, tritechgamers.com and anywhere else you can find us. You can even send us a private email. We love those kinds of things. And so we're going to be trying to see what we can do to do more with these guys. We hope you do, too. We'll be back next week. But until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.